welcome to your dose of the Sideshow Hustle podcast. Discovering world-class side hustles and the hustlers behind them. Tune in for exclusive interviews, tips, tricks, and pitfalls so you can learn, start, and win. Here's your host. Here's your host. Hi team, I'm Matt and welcome to Sideshow Hustle. Almost every side hustle these days involves social media somehow. And to many of us, it feels like a lot of hard work, trying to be everything to everyone, chewing up countless hours, and it doesn't necessarily pay dividends. Emily Rose Hills started with an Instagram account and a dog walking business. She's now the social media team lead of one of Australia's largest sporting codes, has managed social media engagement for the iconic and find.com. She started a LinkedIn challenge and has finally decided to launch her own side hustle, The Social Media Coach. She's already signed a customer and she hasn't even launched yet. Let's find out more. Welcome, Emily. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. For those that are sitting back, you know, they want to know what are you doing as a social media coach? Nice. Okay. Well, I mean, look, it started really organically. I put out a LinkedIn post maybe November last year, just asking anyone if they would like some help answering any social media questions. And it essentially went viral, which is so funny because working in social media, the word viral (laughs) tends to to trigger us all a bit. Um, Everyone wants to go viral. From there, I started to answer a lot of people's social media questions and have been continuing to do that over my morning coffee, which has, yeah, brought me so much joy. So I kind of thought, oh, I've met with these amazing people. I've met with over 140 people. How do I continue to deliver value and create something that, you know, helps, continues to help people and kind of demystify uh, the world of social media? So I guess that's kind of how the social media coach was born. I still can't believe that the handle was... (laughs) Um, I'm kind of like pinching myself. I thought, oh, surely someone's got the social media coach. But yeah, that's kind of how it all started. So ask me anything when you launched that on LinkedIn. Yeah. Why did you do that? What was the impulse that day to write that post? It's it's actually crazy. Like my my father died that year. So last year and I was kind of sat kind of thinking kind of in my grief process around, you know, how short life is and how precious it is. And I've been, you know, as you said, in the corporate landscape for a long time. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to see if I can actually just help someone and not ask for anything in return. So it was kind of in that moment, probably kind of a a griefy day, as they say. And I just thought, oh, you know, I'll just pop it out and see. And I honestly never thought I like people say that and it's like annoying, but like, I really, it wasn't strategic. I never thought it would turn into what it what it has done. It brings me so much joy. How quickly did it take for someone to pick you up on the offer? So LinkedIn's wonderful because posts live for a really long time. So when you create a post and someone comments on it, even one person comments on it, it then gets served to their audiences. So I kind of left it and then the next day I popped in and three people had commented on it. So I went back to them and said, you know, what time works for you? And then kind of two other people commented on it. So I thought, I'm going to have to streamline this. Like I've got a full-time job. So I used Calendly and kind of put that link in the comments. And then 
kind of the way the LinkedIn algorithm works, it kept serving it and the link was in the comments. So people kept booking. At the time, I was such a rookie. I just had the whole thing open. Like, I, you know how on there you can have, I'm only available on <laughs> between nine and five. It was just all open. So I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I need to like put some parameters in here because I'm doing Ask Me Anything's on Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. I'll be having lunch. Where is it taking you now? Like, because it, it, it grew legs You've now served a, a lot of people. What does that look like? Where has it taken me? I think it's still on that journey, right? Like I haven't got to a point where it's I'm at, it's at its final destination. And maybe that's something that, you know, a lot of your listeners will identify with. Like it's not at an end state yet, but I mean, it's, it's kind of informed me creating an online training program that people can sign up to. And kind of all of that content is informed by those there's kind of 140 people that I met, like they ask the same questions, like they're very similar. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Like, did you notice patterns in the types of questions they were asking? Yes, definitely. Like a lot of people's frustrations are around like immediate ROI. Like we've set up this channel, I'm not seeing value from it. And I ask them, okay, how long have you been doing this? And they say, oh, a month. Now, social media marketing is a bit like dating. Like you've got to really commit to it across a long period of time and post really frequently. So like that was a really key piece that kind of made me realize people actually don't understand the fundamentals of social media strategy. Like they don't understand, you know, how to model out return, how long to expect. They kind of want everything now and everything immediately. Like one person I spoke to was like, I'm launching my business today and I've just set up a, a Facebook group. I was like, okay, cool. So we need to make people aware that you exist. We need to get them to follow you or join, you know, your Facebook community. And then we need to start selling to them. You know, it's not kind of a marriage proposal on a first date situation. I feel that this interview is going to take two paths because everybody listening they're going to want to hear about the journey of your side hustle and how you get to where you're going. But because the nature of your side hustle and your expertise is about social media, then there's the other side of everyone wants to know how to run their channels. So, and this sort of diverges a bit, but back to that example we just gave with the story of the business owner that, oh, I've got a Facebook group, let's go. Everybody does, fall, I think people fall into the trap that they either don't know where to start or if they do start, they start everywhere. So I've got Insta, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, yeah. TikTok. Yeah, need to stop, Matt. <laughs> yeah, and so how, how do you narrow that down to like the one or the two that you're going to focus on? Well, that comes down to audience, right? So that comes down to who are you targeting? If you're targeting Gen Z and you're trying to sell glow sticks, I'd probably recommend that you build a TikTok community. If you're setting up an e-com business targeted at mums or women between the ages of X and Y, I'd recommend that you consider Instagram. So I think it's about really understanding your target audience, which is, you know, business strategy 101, right? Like you're not going to launch a product with no customers or kind of no insight around thinking, oh, there's a gap in the market for this. So you, most people have already done that work. I think it's then about aligning 
the platform to the audience. I think you've hit the nail on the head there because most people will be able to tell you, oh, this is my audience. I, I know who my customer is that buys this because I, I'm one of them and I understand that. Like, for instance, I'm about 40 years old, plus or minus a few. And when you start talking about like TikTok and I'm sure I've heard people talk about Telegram. I don't even know what that is. I think it's a messaging service. But there's all these new platforms that are just rolling out. I don't know. And so trying to align your idea, like let's say this podcast, where do you align it to? I, I presume that that's what your pack is sort of helping people understand is like, you know, breaking down all these particular platforms and the audiences for each of them, right? Like, Yeah, totally. Yeah. And like people want the badges of honor on the website, right? Like they want the Facebook logo and the Instagram logo and the Twitter logo and the TikTok logo and their business does social. But the reality is, is that so much work and time and content goes into feeding these algorithms that it's better to have one channel and be acquiring audiences really, really well there then try and do all five or six or whatever. So I think like my advice always with this stuff is like less is more, pick one channel first. And then of course we can scale out or you can scale out once you're, you're seeing return. But the reality is like it takes a good year, I would say. You need to give yourself 12 months minimum really like I model out in my corporate uh world like three years like investment and return and that's the amount of time that we give it you know it's not a it's not a direct marketing tool building community is very very different it takes time and you know perseverance and all the rest of it so yeah it's important I think that people are really strategic with which one platform they want to focus on and then acquiring audiences there, seeing it work, and then launching others, but not doing all of them at the start. Do you think the reason it takes time, is that because it takes time to establish trust? Is, is the core premise here that you want to become an authority, you want people to trust you? Is that why you think it takes time? Well, look, it's twofold. That, yes, like obviously like businesses that have been around for X amount of years have more trust than one that has just been set up. So look, there's an element of that, but that's across like brand as a whole, right, in a business. What makes social media different is that we have these algorithms to work with, right? Like we need to feed these algorithms and our content needs to rank, and our content needs to be served and it needs to be reaching who we want it to reach. Now, the way that it does that on social is by constantly feeding it. If you post one post every Thursday, the reach on that is going to be dire because you're not feeding the algorithms in the way that they need to be fed. And the reality is you need to be posting every day. That is the reality. And like people look at me like, oh my God, like really? Yes. That kind of brings me back to what I was saying earlier is it's important that you pick one so that you can do it really well and start to see the fruits of that. Because, you know, there are times when, you know, like you're posting and 
no one's engaging and or three or four people are engaging, but the reach is still really low. But then suddenly you've been posting and the platforms then go, oh, wow, look at all this amazing content she's been posting. I'm going to then serve that. My immediate reaction is one of rebellion where I think, yeah, I don't really don't want to do that. Like the algorithm may want it from me, but I'm not necessarily prepared to give it. Are there tools or strategies to make this kind of magic juice happen so I can just batch it, so I can just sit there for, you know, I'm a hustler. I've got some spare time on Saturday for like three or four hours in the morning. Is there a way to like batch this up so that the algorithm is fed when I'm not around? Well, that depends on what content you're creating, right? Like if you are, if you're publishing an article a day, let's say on your blog, you can definitely automate that. But can you automate creative? No. I mean, there are teams in these businesses of, you know, 10 plus managing social presences. Like and these businesses are run by some of the most intelligent business people, you know, out there and they can see why that investment needs to be made. So I think, you know, it's, it's no different. I don't, I don't think you can automate the time and energy needs to be spent on it. If you don't want to engage in social media marketing, don't, but don't do it half-hearted because it's just going to fail. And like, you can't half-bake it. It doesn't work like that. Are there like planning tools or tools that you can schedule posts? Like, you know, like, because like most people, I guess, do, do something, they go to Canva, they get some artwork, they do a nice post whack away she goes i've seen some tools where you can schedule this stuff in that like it will force things out at certain times are there any tools or planning tools that you recommend or like do you say just stay away from that because the algorithms know and hate you no 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 i definitely you can definitely schedule and we do schedule but it still doesn't take away the time from creating it right and actually scheduling takes long (laughs) takes a long time so yes, there are a few tools. Sked is fantastic. S K E D, just amazing customer service. Um, it's an Australian company as well, which is great. But it still doesn't take away from the time, right? Like, and and that's the piece that a lot of people talk to me about. Like, they just don't have the time. And one recommendation I always make is just allocate an hour a day, create your content, schedule it. But you still, if you schedule it right, like you still have to build a community. So you still have to have the time to go in and respond to comments or comment in Facebook groups, right? Like you know about this. Like you have to dedicate the time. It doesn't just grow on its own. Yeah, I've seen it in the groups too. Like this this is probably too much information, but I uh, ruptured a disc in my back in my 20s. Oh, Matt. Yeah, it it was an unfortunate time, but... I didn't walk for about 18 months and I had a blog and the blog was actually getting a fair bit of traction. I could see there was getting sort of, I don't know, about 5,000 views a month. And it was good because people would comment on there like, oh, my back's terrible. I've tried this. Have you tried that? There's all this sort of sharing through the blog. It was just a WordPress thing. And then Facebook came along with its groups and pretty early on I created a group called the Herniated Disc Support Network or something. And... It was me and about four people with bad backs that would just do the odd post and go, hey, how are you guys going? Yeah, good. Like, 
or not good. I, I'm, 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 I'm on these meds, you know, people tell you all sorts of information. Slowly but surely, as people realized they could search Facebook and start to find these groups, because they were quite hidden for a long time, and it's now about 30,000 people in there. We have universities coming to us asking to put posts on to find trial participants for new procedures that they want to trial and see if it helps people with back problems. Like, yeah, it's all yeah crazy stuff that occurs in this group now. And it's, yeah, it's it took, it probably took five years to, to, to the point where it became self-fulfilling. Like there was enough people in there contributing that I didn't have to be in there regularly. And then you could start adding in moderators and yeah, the, the whole thing basically. You had to introduce them. Like it didn't just happen by itself, right? Like you had to set up the group and you had to, build the momentum like that momentum didn't just happen you know within a week and I think people want everything so fast like they want everything now and they want direct return I like once had a years ago I like laugh about this so much like I had a client that I was working on and they kept asking me what the ROI of each Facebook post was I was like <laughs> at the time I was just you know junior three or four years into my my career or whatever I just couldn't figure it out. I was like, how do I report on the, the return on investment on each of these individual Facebook posts? If someone asked me that now, I just say, just be quiet. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll chat in a month, we'll chat in two months. Like, you're not looking at ROI of every single post. You can't get into that that mentality with it. You'll just, you'll fall over. Yeah, because it, you, I, it's probably becoming very transactional and then it starts... I don't know. I think people just can see through that and get the smell of desperation. Yeah, you're trying to make money out of it. Yeah, it's just like I feel like, you know, I'm a walking wallet that spits dollars at you and it's not necessarily how I like to feel. People want to feel they're part of that community. So back to the your side hustle, the, the social media coach. So you, you have the ask me anything. You fill up a calendar of bookings. You're walking 140 people through these these appointments, and I presume that, like, when you say adding value, that these catch ups, you really are just giving away advice. It's not like a a sales funnel where it's like you you give them some little uh, breadcrumbs and hope they follow the trail to the paid product. No, 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 no. There's none of that. Like, they ask a question and I give them what they need. So you've built up trust with these people. Has has any of it formed into like some relationships where you've made with these people where they come back to you more often or like has, is that where the first sale came from? Cause I, I know you've got one customer signed up yeah. pre-launch. Did that come from the ask me anything? Yeah, it did. And I think, yes, like trust will be built. It's still so new, like in the sense that, you know, it's been up, been going for what, four or five months now, but yes, I'm in contact with all of these people by email like I feel like there are good relationships there. I have yet to have a conversation where someone goes, oh God, that was a waste of time or, you know, didn't respond to a like personalized email I sent around the new Instagram update, for example. But it's not like bulk emails being like spat out at people. It's individual emails going out to individual people. I'm not, you know, looking at, you know, how can I scale this or make this easier or how can I you know, make a passive income? How can I become a millionaire in, in two two years? Like, I'm not approaching it like that. Like, 
I might be. And that would be incredible. And like, as I gain, build more trust with more people, there may be things that I can look at automating, but the actual startup phase is I'm not approaching it of, I want to retire by 40. I want to do this. I want to travel the world. I don't want to have a nine to five. Like I'm approaching it with what I think makes sense for the customer and what is the most like authentic and aligned to my values and my belief system, you know, like I, I'm really building it like block by block and that's important to me. The, the people listening to this, we're going to, there'll be people that are in, you know, maybe their late teens, early twenties listening to this. And there'll be people that are probably in their early forties, you know, maybe fifties, who knows, sixties listening to it. So there's this cross-generational thing listening. And for me, I have been surprised that probably 80 to 90% of everybody that I've interviewed started out with a passion project wanting to build a community or to share something like they were enthusiastic about it. That's what their motivation was, their purpose to just grind out a hundred hours, not making any money on this thing that they were doing. And then in some ways, like the market found them. So, you know, you had an, there was an indie author that was just writing books and then just slowly but surely just, she just started publishing it and then people just started finding her and they started reaching out to her. She'd get feedback on books, then drove her to write another book. There's been so many little stories of people just started with their passion because it's pretty easy to put 100 hours into something that you enjoy doing. Whereas if you hate it and you've got to put 100 hours in on top of your normal job, you've got kids, you've got a house to look after, life, floods, famine, and all the things the world's throwing at people these days, the 100-hour ask is impossible because it's just you it damages your mental health, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I get up at 5 a.m. right now. Like I work nine till like six or seven in my like corporate job. And I have built this in the mornings and I get up of bed and I am so excited. Like it just fills up my cup totally. It does not feel like work. And yeah, getting aligned, I think is, has been really important as like part of this whole like startup phase for me is like, I think you've got to be fully aligned with what you're doing and really, really care about it. And it like runs through your, your veins, you know, cause it's just, it takes so much of you. There's so much time, like you said. The, the generational thing, I pointed that out because I feel that the younger people that I talk to, they have an understanding of their own purpose, the things they want to bake in, like somebody else wanted to bake in with, with one of their things was sustainability in the circular economy. And so they approach their startup with that baked in from the start. These are things that you rarely see in the baby boomers or the, is it the X's that come after the boomers? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the X's and then the Y's and the Z's. So the boomers and the X's, there's less of it. They're discovering it now because they've spent a lifetime in a shitty career trying to climb a ladder that, turns out was meaningless and it's sort of later in life they're trying to understand their purpose and for me personally i look back at these now down at these younger generations coming through that are i couldn't have told you what my purpose was at 25 outside of like maybe i'd like to get a mortgage pay off a house and have enough money to pay that off and go on a few holidays there was no like inner sense of what i love doing or it wasn't just stuff that your parents spoke to you about really it was just 
I don't know, it was all these underlying assumptions were just baked into your life. And then for me, about it was probably about 10 years ago, the world sort of exploded up and it was like books like The 4-Hour Workweek came out that starts pushing you that you don't have to walk a line to this narrative of retirement at the end of your life. You can bring this all the way forward. Young people have that baked in this sense of purpose. What am I going to do? I don't need to be the world's richest person. I'm not here to make $10 million out of it. I'm here to build relationships, you know, do a hard day's work and get paid for it. And they say like that fills my cup. Like these are things that I think older generations don't have and younger ones uh, have it and I think they do better for it. Like time, your time on this planet is so short, right? Like it's so short. It's important that like you find that, like why. It's so important. And those four-hour work week, like that book is great, but it's only great if you know your why. Like if you don't know your why, like it makes you feel like shit reading it because you're like, oh, cool. Like I could just, you know, live the dream and work four hours. How the hell am I going to do that? Like, you know, it's like the bit before the reading the book, it's that work that's so key, I think. From a time and mental health perspective, is it difficult to juggle the two? Like, because the AMA stuff, Ask Me Anything, that seems like you really love it. You say it fills your cup. But then in terms of the actual side hustle, there's a pack that you need to create, there's a website, there's all of your own social media management stuff that you need to do. How do you balance that into the job and, and not suffer burnout? Like what sort of planning goes in here? Yeah, so just really, really firm boundaries, really firm, like blocking out the time and, you know, getting to the gym and just having a routine. Like I live a very structured life. I'll be honest with you, I don't have a huge amount of spare time to, you know, lie on a beach or go and see friends. Like I do prioritize that on the weekends, but the week is very structured and boundaries. I feel like it's it's been great because it's meant that I log off at five. Like it means I, you know, or six or whenever it is, like I log off at that time because I know that I've got something to do outside of that. Whereas before I had the social media coach, I would actually find myself like working into the night for my corporate job. Whereas because I have two things and I guess, you know, I don't have a family, right? I don't have kids or yeah, in the same way that you would have to leave work to pick up a child from school, right? Like <laughs> you have to stop. That's kind of what the social media coach has given me. And yeah, it has been structured and, you know, burnout um, is managed by having, you know, time at the weekends off and getting to the gym and getting to a yoga class and just, again, yeah, boundaries and prioritizing what's important. Have you thought about, or has it factored into your decision-making that, the social media coach potentially is your platform if you go down the path of having kids. Like, because there's a lot of women that will be listening that either have kids or thinking about it. Because I've seen it in my own wife. She has a side hustle and that has become her main hustle. Having children was the impetus for actually starting the hustle in the first place, pre-kids, and then that allowed her to transition away from her job. I definitely think that has something to play in it. I think... It doesn't really come down to kids. I think it just comes down to my core value of like freedom and time. Like I want time and this allows me to do that. So whether that's that we decide to have children or whether that's that I need to go home back to England to care for my mum when she, you know, becomes un unwell. 
like this gives me freedom to or the opportunity of freedom whereas like the court which the corporate system doesn't like the corporate system is I've got 21 days off a year annual leave and you know we need to be back in the office nine to five Monday through Friday so it, it gives me freedom and whether that means that you know I can have children I mean it's kind of I won't get mat leave <laughs> So like there's there's obviously like pros and cons, right? Like some some women stay in the corporate system to get that mat leave and then they look at doing the side hustle stuff. Yeah, I guess my wife kind of did it, set up the side hustle pre and then you use the mat leave to basically launch or to at least well, she's used the mat leave initially to just enjoy time with the kids, but then you know, two or three months in, she's starting to get you know, brain's starting to be like, oh, I need some more stimulation here. And then the beauty of your own business is you can scale it up and down as required. So if all of a sudden, you know, she'll be like, okay, I'm going to do these appointments on the Thursday. Uh, To do that though, I'm going to have to pump this amount of milk. You need to be there to make sure that they can be fed. So there's a bit more logistics involved, but the mat leave basically gave her the ability to start ramping it up uh, like after a couple months that gave her an inkling do I think I'll go back to permanent work and the answer for her was hell no because I can basically make it close to a full-time wage if not more and she might be putting in 100 hours a week which is more than what she's putting into her work but she has complete control over when that time is yeah and I, I think this, I didn't, I haven't set this up to be a part-time thing. Like my, and again, it's so early, right? So it's hard to say, but like the, I plan for this to be, you know, a full-time venture. Like I, I don't want to set up something that is a side hustle to, you know, being a mum, for instance. Like I want to set this up and for it to be like highly profitable and, a thing yeah like I, I'm not thinking oh how can I make x amount of dollars while having children like that's not what I'm thinking right now I would I would love to have children in the future but I'm not thinking this is a an easier option to corporate I'm thinking how do I make you know x amount of dollars in five years I can see organically how this is all unfolded for you so you do ask me anything it's you know the, part of your grieving process with your father, your, you run this Ask Me Anything, you realize there's some patterns here, you know, then hit, you know, all of a sudden you're sitting with the social media coach. Were there any other ideas that didn't make it? So many. <laughs> How did you pick this one over all of the other ideas? Like did you have – spreadsheets of how these things might scale up like did you did it was it gut feel was it emotional like did you rely on a partner did you see an expert how did you do it to be honest like over the years I've had so many ideas and I've like tried to like tested them of like think oh I'll just do this and see if something comes of it or I'll just do this and see if something comes of it and nothing came of the ones before so that like process of just I don't know, putting out a LinkedIn post, seeing if anyone's interested or, you know, uh, putting together a pitch deck and sending it to someone or going and, you know, yeah, I don't know. That's in my nature. Like I, that's, I've been doing that since I was 
you know, 16 or something, like the ideas and like testing and seeing if there's something there has, has always been a thing. It's just this time when I spat out that LinkedIn post, people engaged with it and continued to engage with it. So it kind of showed me, oh, this one has legs. Yeah, that's awesome because, you know, they talk about with side hustles about testing the market. So let's say that you've come up with a, I don't know, a new type of dress and you pay to get the patterns made, you send it off to overseas or maybe you make it locally, you make it up in 20 different sizes and 40 different colors and before you know it, you've got $50,000, $100,000 worth of inventory and then you launch it and then you realize no one wants this dress. So testing the market becomes highly important. Like in this instance, you've put the AMA up. What were other ways that you tested other ideas? So I had a similar idea maybe two years ago and I wanted to call it the social practice. And I thought I could like create like training, like in rooms, like workshops, basically. So I took it at the time I was working in agency and I took it to the agency owner. I was like, do you think there's like, do you think we could do something like this? And he was like, yeah, like, why don't we give it a shot? So we like marketed it, promoted it. And like, no one showed up. (laughs) Like, so we got the messaging wrong, I think. And the location we picked wasn't right. We hadn't done like the market research, we hadn't done enough research into it. So it kind of was an idea, concept. We launched it, we tested it, no one showed up. Okay, learning done. Like there was no real cash loss. Like it was just an idea. But I think not being scared of failing, like I'm not scared of failure at all. This is, you know, my creative process. I'm putting things out there and it's not attached to my ego. Like, it's not part of me. I'm not saying, you know, I'm going to create this thing. And, you know, if no one signs up and no one likes it, then I, you know, Emily Rose is a failure. It's like, I'm disconnected from this creative process. I'm putting things out and I'm just seeing, yeah, what works. And I think that has power. Like, I think the fact that I'm fearless with this and it's not, I'm not scared of what people think of me. And if it does fail, cool. We can chat about why it failed, you know, like I don't, I don't have that, that ego attached to it. Did you always have that? I think that's all that common. I think most people have this, I even sense it with the podcast. Maybe this podcast will suck. Cool. Like if it sucks, it sucks and learn from it, move on, create something new. Like I think, look, like I grew up with artistic parents, right? Like they created for a living. You know, my dad designed the Teletubbies and like until he got to that point and created that, like he, he failed so many times. Like he, he created so many things. He painted so many beautiful things and it didn't work. But then he created the Teletubbies and it was this huge phenomenon. Like, you know, I don't think anyone listening is going to not know what the Teletubbies is. Right. So it's like the lesson I learned from a really young age is like create to create, like create to express. And, you know, if one day, like someone thinks that that, you know, one painting or that one idea or that one concept or that, you know, one podcast, 
podcast, yes, that podcast is great, then incredible. But that doesn't doesn't define whether like Matt or Emily or, you know, my dad, Jonathan, was a success or a failure. Yeah, I, I mention it because I sense it. I don't, I don't want the podcast to be a failure and largely out of sort of but it's out of out of kudos to the people I'm interviewing. Like I don't want to have wasted their time and taking them away from their hustles when they should have been out there doing amazing things. So mine is like sort of out of obligation to like I want the best outcome for the person that's putting their time into the interview and also to the listener to motivate them to get them going. So my fear is about sucking in terms of delivering on those goals. But at the same time, I can also detach. But I'd say that the detachment is sort of a learnt skill because I've had enough success in my earlier life and enough validation with jobs or whatever it is that I've done that it doesn't matter to me if I if it But it's an expression, right? Like you're creating for the sake of creating. Like we're having a really interesting conversation here, right? Like that is making my experience on this planet better like this is a a really interesting conversation and if that's all it is then great and if you know four people listen to this and feel inspired by it or you know get a takeaway from it then that's also great yeah um one of the things with all of your testing that i like they say with these tests that we're testing the market you should look at things that are high value for the other person and low value for you. So in the case of you giving away Ask Me Anything, someone realizing that, hey, look, this woman is paid a lot of money in her job to give this advice. I can get this for free. This is of a lot of value to me because I can't actually get this advice anywhere else easily or for free. So high value for them. And then from your perspective, it's like, well, this is something I want to do anyway. I enjoy it. I'm going to give up the time. And all I'm really losing is a little bit in the morning. The upside is I get to talk to cool people doing cool stuff and I get to keep my finger on the pulse of what's happening in the market. It's not really any skin off your nose either. So it's low value to you. And it's that combination. If people can find that with their side hustle of what's something the customer really wants that I can give them that doesn't really cost me a lot. And that that little packet, that little secret, I think is super critical to anyone doing a side hustle on a shoestring. And I think you've done it with like all of the things that you've mentioned. Another question, did you have a business plan? Uh, No, not at the time that I put the LinkedIn post up. I do have one now because... I have a product that launches. So I've done some very basic modeling of, you know, the product costs X and I want to sell Y of those um, in two years. How much advertising do I need to spend in order to hit that? So just very basic. So the, I don't think we've discussed it. The actual product that you, someone can go and buy on the social media uh, coach.com.au website is what is the product? Okay, so there's three parts to it. There's online video material, which is, it's about 45 minutes. And in that 45 minutes, I basically have recorded how you build a social media strategy. And there's a workbook that goes with that. Once they've listened to that 40 minutes and filled out the workbook, they then meet with me one-on-one and we have an hour together. 
And then the third part is seven days of implementation support. So basically the first part is getting up to speed. How do I do this? What is the structure? What is the blueprint? What are the questions? And then they fill that out. And the reason why I did that was because I felt like it was the most cost effective decision for the customer. That's the cheapest way of delivering that rather than doing that every single time. Then it means that the hour with me is super valuable because they have done the work pre-session. They're then, they've got my time to be able to challenge and, and critique, which I think is the the bit that they want, right? Like they want my experience, like what's worked in the past. How we, I was thinking of doing this, but do you think, you know, they want that. And then the seven days implementation is support while they actually put it into motion. Yeah. I think the market is screaming for this kind of stuff because I think there is just so many frustrated people. And for me, it comes back to that really trying to be everything for everyone. And I think that that's the bit that I think that you you address in, eh, no, I think that's, you know, a way of sucking fast and just losing lots of time. And yeah, it seems like the pack is, that's it's targeted exactly these people. Like, where do I start? How do I plan it? And how do I get the most out of my time? And it is a little bit, it is a little bit ROI, but it's more targeted at, in general, if I'm going to spend some time on social media, I don't want to be having the conversation in a year that I haven't got a single sale out of it. I need to see some elements of progress in there. So there is like an ROI or a progress tracker that people are looking for. And I guess that's probably what they're going to be coming to you and asking for. I thought it was interesting. Like I was thinking about that. I was thinking, oh, like could I get them to X amount of followers and charge for that? But the thing where that falls flat on its face, and like I talk about this in the the product or the training program is like you have to define what your unique follower point is. Like you have to do that work. Like why the hell is someone going to follow your brand on social media? And that is the nugget. And what you want to make sure is, is that people that are, you know, they want to invest in social media marketing. They want to acquire new audiences because their cost per acquisitions go down over time because you've acquired them and you own them, right? You're not paying to reach them every time. You have to do that work. You have to figure out, you know, why is someone going to be part of the Sideshow Hustle podcast Facebook group? And you've done that, right? Like, you know that unique follower point. But that's kind of the first nugget into is this going to be successful or not? Because if you don't figure that out, your social strategy falls flat on its face. Yeah. And I think too, you can figure it out, but there are all these like hidden and guerrilla ways that stuff happens. Like sometimes it happens organically and sometimes you, you, you try 50 things and one of them works. But like I think one of the bulk ways, for instance, the people came to the group was in one of these financial groups somebody asked about side hustles and making money on the side and then miraculously a link appeared in one of the comments that here's an australian-based side hustle podcast and i'd say that like just that one that one little entry probably caught 150 people into the group it requires mass experimentation because you never know where it's going to come from that's what it feels like to me your strategy though is finding audiences that already exist 
and transferring them to yours, right? So that, that is a strategy, audience transferal. How am I going to get people from this audience to follow me? And how am I going to do that? I'm going to do that by commenting or I'm going to do that, let's say if you're on Instagram, by liking their followers' followers so they get a notification. Focused on you for a second, when, when's launch day? March 9, which is soon. The day after International Women's Day. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the timing of this is <laughs> when you plan on sending this out, but that time might have be passed already. <laughs> well, we'll see. I, maybe, maybe we drop it for... I was, Maybe we drop it for International Women's Day. I'm not sure. But it would be nice to tie it in with uh, launch day, I guess. So you're coming into launch day. You are the social media coach. What are you doing in the background to build community and to try to transfer that audience? Like where do you look for this product? Yeah. Okay. So I'm acquiring audiences on two platforms. So I'm focusing on LinkedIn. So building engaged community there. And I'm focused on building community on Instagram. So they're my two focuses and they ladder up to my two target audiences. So LinkedIn sits very closely with founders, people in business already. They are in high paying jobs. They want to get out and they need to figure out a way they're going to do that. And I can help them do that. So LinkedIn is a focus there. So you'd say that they're after a side hustle, would you? Yeah. I would, well, I would say that they're open to it, right? Like I would say that they are in corporate. They're looking on LinkedIn, whether for another job or not. And they're considering what their future holds. Or they're listening to this podcast. Or they're listening to this podcast. Um but there, so that's one audience. And then the other audience is founders that, or businesses that have set up an Instagram and their Instagram isn't performing very well. So they need tips and tricks in order to do that. And then, you know, on Instagram every day, I um, give a tip, a social media tip for free and they get that and that's helping them in their, their business. That's very clever, isn't it? Because People who have a problem on a platform are probably aimlessly scrolling around and working on that platform as well. And if they happen to see one of these tips or tricks and they're like, ooh, I like that one, then they'll realize their brain is going to say, well, this person clearly knows how to use Instagram because they got to me. And all of a sudden they're like, yeah, this person knows what they're doing. And then I assume that all of your content's branded and pushing them back where do you push them back to? You're just your bio or a website? To the ask me anything. So the goal is ask me anything. The goal is to meet people and actually genuinely help people. Um, mm. And the ask me anything is that, right? Like you've seen a few of my posts, you've seen a few of my tips, maybe one's worked, maybe you're struggling with the other, you don't fully understand it. You ask me in person, we have a conversation about it and then we start to build a relationship from there. And you may be able to do it all yourself. Like, I'm not saying that you can't, but you may also want support. You may want the training program to support you further, but I'm never driving direct to product ever. Somebody is in your shoes. They're a, they're a 
expert slash professional in their field. They, they've got, I think people listening, if they're an accountant, I always use accountants in my examples, but a teacher, an IT person, I guess there's all these professions, I'm missing heaps of them, but they are all kind of experts in their field and have all, you know, they've got the education, they've been out there working for five, 10 years in their field. Do you have any advice for them? How do they find their purpose and their path? Like, like how you have. I look internally, like what, like what are my values? Like what do I value in life? What are my passions? Like I love what I do. Like I, I love it. I think it's tapping into that. And I think it's hard. It's tricky, Matt, because, you know, some people don't have that. They don't have that thing in their life that they just adore. I think it's testing. It's like that fearless energy of creating with no ego and saying, I'm going to try this. I'm going to test it. And there may be something in it and there may not be, and that's fine but I created it anyway. And I expressed myself and I expressed myself with authenticity. And I think that's where you can start. Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I, because I'm somebody who is a sort of jack of all trades, master of none. I've been incredibly jealous of people who have that one thing that they love. So I remember growing up, there was this... Um, a, a guy that I knew who lived and breathed surfing and just every day, every spare moment, surf books, looking at boards, going surfing. It was just, it was endless. And I didn't have it. I'd kind of get into it for a little bit and be like, mm, like, and then I'd drift off and I've just sort of had this jack of all trades mentality all along and finding the, the things that I like is come through just huge amounts of experimentation and people look at your career as well and say oh you've had a pretty successful career you've done all these things and it's you know I can paint a fairly nice picture of the progression of my career but under the covers man has there been some wild stuff that's happened I set up a speed dating uh event <laughs> and I marketed it through um you know the in big workplaces they have like a social club yeah yeah, I marketed it to the social club. I said, hey, look, I'm going to all these corporates. So it's corporate singles dating other corporate singles. And then I artificially in, in, increased the price to like, you know, $90 a head and said, if you're a member of a social club, you get it for 50 and then sent it to all of the social clubs. I could find like, you know, BHP, uh, I was working at uh, Foster's Group and all these social clubs. Like, oh, this is a cool benefit for our members. It's like a $30 discount. We'll send it out to everybody. And before I knew it, uh, the speed dating event, oh, my God, it was it was hilarious. Um, it made money too again because I ran it on a Tuesday night. I did a deal with a pub that they basically paid me 100 bucks to run the event there and they put on one free drink and uh, free nibbles for the – the group of 20 and, and they gave us a private room because on Tuesday night they had nothing going on. It was dead quiet. And they said, yep, this'll, this'll keep the seats busy for a while. And, uh, and that it did. And it was a hilarious event. I will never forget it. Successful. Yes. In that event. But then you realize pretty quickly that I don't really want to be running a speed dating event every Tuesday night. And yeah, you basically move on. And, but it's it, all the way through, 
I've challenged all those little, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that. And I think that's super important advice for those that don't have it, the their purpose or their sense of where am I meant to be, what am I meant to be doing. The experimentation, I think, is excellent advice. Yeah, just testing and learning and not taking the failure personally. Like, you didn't fail. Like, the idea failed. Like, you, it's nothing to do with you. And I think, like, that, that is so critical, in my opinion, right? And people have lots of different opinions on this, and, and that's wonderful. But my opinion is that it can't, you can't take it personally. It can't be this extension of your self-worth because your self-worth has nothing to do with it. It's, it's this outlet, this creative outlet. You said about learning. How have you found, like, with this, with this uh, startup for you, are you doing the websites yourself? Like, are you, you know, are you, are you shoestringing this startup or do you, are you spending money and bringing contractors to do stuff? I wish I was doing it all myself. <laughs> um, I... No, I have an amazing, amazing bunch of people helping me. Um, I don't know anyone that has all of those skills of all the different things that you need to launch a business. Like, I wish I had all of those. I, I definitely don't. I'm awful at copywriting. So a dear like, ex-colleague of mine is helping me with the copy. The website I designed, but I'm supported by an incredible website designer. Graphics, branding, a friend of mine who I actually met when I was backpacking kind of 11 years ago or something has helped, has helped me build my, my look and feel, my branding, um, design the workbook. Henry has, who's fantastic videographer. He has filmed and edited all the online material. Like there is a, it takes a village. <laughs> um, and I'd say it's shoestring. Like it's not, not, I don't, I don't have heaps of cash laying around to, to invest in it um but no i'm working with incredibly uh, talented people i guess to give this the scale of for people listening what sort of dollars have you put into it is it sort of a thousand five thousand ten thousand by the time launch happens so everything is ready and set up for launch i would have invested twelve thousand dollars and the, the bulk of that money, where did, where did the bulk of that money? Video. You basically have bought production quality. This this isn't going to be, you know, Matt on an iPhone doing the handycam handy job. Absolutely not. Yeah, okay. The video is very high quality. The branding is very high quality. The workbook's very high quality because people want that. Yeah, you don't want slapstick. What have you wasted the most amount of time on? getting over myself, getting over like internal like chatter and doubt and fear. And I've, that's just been such a waste of time. You know, like what are people going to think of me? Like all of that stuff, like that's a waste of time. Even if I spent one minute doing it, it's just a waste. <laughs> When you started the product, did you set a date first and then work backwards or did you just open-end it and see when you'll be ready and then set a date? No, so March 9th is my dad's birthday and, yeah, I picked that date because he inspired me to do this. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, that's really quite beautiful. And we're getting close to the end. Was there 
Do you have any particular habits or ways of working that you think make you more successful than your average chump? My advice would be to do an hour a day. Your hour a day, is it, are you working to like a to-do list or, and then just try and squeeze as much into the hour or is it just like an hour where I just have to work on it and whatever that happens to be, you know, happens to be? Exactly, yeah. There's no expectation. Sometimes like some of the hours were like me writing like my fears down. There's not like a a roadmap as such. Like I there was I knew there were tent poles. Like when I started this, I was like, right, if I want to launch on dad's birthday, I need to, you know, have this done by here. I need to brief the video person by here. But the hour a day is the routine. Like the hour of the day is the showing up for 60 minutes every day. And whatever that looks like, that is what it is. Like, you know, whether that is just writing, journaling, whether that's making some social posts, whether that's going back to some emails, whether that's making the Ask Me Anything Calendly interface look a bit better. Like it's just small little investments of time compound over time to build what I something that I'm so proud of, but it was built on an hour a day. That is super interesting because most people tend to be goal oriented. They've got these like to-do lists and I think this sitting down for it and you say, I just have to sit here and do the hour a day and that's going to be enough for me, whatever I get through in that hour. There is something really impactful in doing that I don't know if you come across 75 Hard uh, by Andy Frisella. No, I haven't. 75 Hard is a – they call it a mental toughness challenge, but it's runs for 75 days. You have to follow a diet of any kind. It just needs to be like a healthful kind of diet. You have to do two 45-minute workouts a day. One of them has to be outside irrespective of weather conditions, so – Bad luck to anyone doing 75 hard through this rain season. I've done it. And one of the sort of one-hour exercise things that I would do a day, I've got a farm and it would be – I had this huge amount of antenna down the back. And every time I looked at it, the job looks so massive that if you sat there for half an hour hacking at this antenna, at the end of half an hour, you'd step back and go, well, let's just get the roundup or – get a bulldozer in because I feel that I've moved about one meter in and there is about 300 meters to go. I, this is a useless endeavor. But with the one hour a day commitment, it's just you have to be working. And it's like, because it's not goal-based, it's just, it's effort-based. I need to put one hour into this. You start chewing away into it. And at about 50, 60 days of doing this, I literally ran out of lantana. I couldn't, and everybody that visits the farm and has a look at the area that's been cleaned out. Oh, I did it with my wife as well. Fortunately, she was in with it as well. But that one hour every day, both of us, you realize that the accumulation of an hour a day is so insanely big in in not a very long time. Like it, within 75 days, you, I feel you could launch three businesses if you really wanted to. It is an incredible, I, I didn't realize that the allocation of time instead of allocation of task would be such a, a different way of thinking and deliver such amazing results because it, 
it doesn't feel intuitive to me to say, I'm just going to sit down and work for an hour on this thing. I want to be like goal and to-do list orientated. I still have those things, to-do list, but I'm just sitting down for an hour. It doesn't matter what gets done. It just matters that I worked hard for an hour. It's like going to the gym, right? Like that's what I've learned. It's like if you go to the gym for seven hours on one day, (laughs) you're not going to lose any weight. Well, you might lose a little bit, but it's not going to be consistent. You won't be able to wash your hair for a week. Exactly. But like if you go to the gym every morning for 20 minutes, you will see results. It's like the same thing. And it's that mindset piece that, yeah, it becomes part of who you are, right? Like the ask me anything is part of me. It is who I am. I, it is part of what I do each day. It's so ingrained. It's, it's habit. It's routine. Uh, I have two questions left. This one I think is going to be interesting for you. How do you balance having the perfect product versus being directionally correct? I sometimes you just need to launch, even though it isn't exactly right. And but your perfectionist component of your personality wants to get it right. How do you balance or juggle that between just getting it out the door and having it enough that the customer still loves it versus having it absolutely perfect? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it will ever be perfect. I think they'll all, it will always keep growing and evolving and there'll always be like areas to optimize. So I think it brings it back to that piece of it not being me. Like people aren't going to judge me on this. Like it's the product. It's not a reflection of me, of my personality. So I can only do as much as I can and I'll always keep optimizing yeah, I think picking your date is a pretty smart thing to do. Like just time boxing it. You've picked a date. You know, you, you've got your reasons for picking that date, but the sheer act of picking a date forces somebody into action to just say, it, well, "This is happening." Yes, and the web, my Ali, who is a fantastic website designer, um, said to me, "Usually we have you know two weeks for testing, and we haven't had time to do that for various reasons." And I just say, "It's fine. We'll just go live on the ninth, and we'll just whatever happens, like that will be." And you know, if a page can't be included and we need to add it in later, that's fine. But it's out there and it's existing, and that's what's important to me. Last question, really. You've got a plan for what hopefully success looks like. So you said you've done some numbers on, you know, hopefully get X number of sales in the first month and et cetera, et cetera. Have you got a plan for failure? Like when do you pull the pin? What what is what does failure look like? And when do you pull that pin or do you not think about it? I don't see how I can fail because maybe this is silly, but I, I don't because the social media coach as a brand is me. That is who I am, right? So if we break down like the three different offerings of the social media coach, there's the ask me anything, which hasn't failed. Like that is a success. Then there's the training program, which could fail, which is what is failure there? It's the people don't buy it and the marketing's not very good. And, you know, I don't make my money back. And then the other part of the social media coach is my 10 years experience in industry, which I can just go get a job 
doing this in corporate, right? So the social media coach as a brand can't fail because what does failure even mean? Like, you know, like what, what part me as a human fails? Like, no, like I'm launching these individual products. I'm offering these services. I'm sure I will build more products in time. I'm sure I will come up with more services in time. Maybe two people download the course. Is that a failure if only two people download it? I don't know. Like I haven't set those parameters for myself to say, I need to achieve X. And if I don't achieve X, I am a failure. Like I haven't even gone there. That's not even part of my my thought process. Yeah, because it's. I think the reason partly why you can do it is that you haven't necessarily invested so much money into it that you have to ask the question, when do I stop putting money in? So if someone would set up a business that was, I don't know, uh, a retail business and it was costing them 200 grand to start up, then they may well have to look at, well, if six months in, if we aren't breaking even, we're going to need to consider pulling the pin because the sheer amount of dollars that we're pushing into this is not sustainable, i.e. it's going to cause us long-term damage. I think through what you just said is that there's no long-term damage here because worst case is a bunch of people get free advice through Ask Me Anything and, you know, you've put some money in to set up the the packs and record the content. But if the if ultimately the packs don't really sell and you don't necessarily recoup, it's like it's not like you've lost the sheep station either. Yeah. But I think that's start small, test, find something that sticks and then keep investing, right? Like rather than, you know, like I spoke to someone early, like in the early days and they were like, you should set up a like masterclass website where you can you know, get other experts to talk with you and you can set up this, you know, multi-million dollar business or something. That was kind of what they said. And I thought, God, that sounds awesome, but that's not now. Like that's not now for me. Like now for me is really like setting up something small and seeing if there's market want there and consumer, yeah, consumer want there. And then maybe, yes, like God, wouldn't that be incredible? Like, but that's not where I'm starting. Like I'm starting small. I'm trying to mitigate risk. I'm trying to see what works, what doesn't at a really small scale. So then imagine if it does work, I could go to an investor and say, look on this scale, this works. What happens if we add three zeros to it? Mm. Yeah. I think what you're describing is risk mitigation strategy really. And the, the beauty of it is that for anyone listening that is having issues with their social media and, and wants more out of it and they're considering buying the pack, then they know that they're working with somebody that they're not going to throw the answer out. Look, you need to invest $100,000 into marketing and at the end of it, you know, we'll, we'll, you'll see that the ROI is there because I think that's really shitty advice that that's the quickest way to lose hundred grand, get to the end and realize you haven't sold anything. And that, that is like a traditional model too. And I think the, the idea of experimenting, trying small and backing it in with more money once you realize you're onto a winner is the ultimate advice for anyone looking. So if, if they're considering buying the pack, they're going to look at it and go, well, 
this is going to, you know, you, I'm going to get targeted specific advice relating to my business and my my particular strategy, but I also know it's not going to be stupid advice that pushes me down a track that requires me to commit in a crap ton of money that I don't really want to spend or I'm unsure of how this is going to unfold for me. So it, it feels like that's, for people listening, that is the, takes the heat out of the purchase. It's not, they're not going to get a strategy that requires them to bet the farm. I was just going to say like, and it's not outrageously expensive. Like we're talking like 500 bucks here. We're not talking four grand, like for a social media strategy. Like we're talking 500 bucks. Like it's like a no, no brainer. (laughs) Yes. And I guess, yeah, it's, it's a tax deduction for everybody that's doing it. So, you know, and, and again, for a lot of professionals, they do use their side hustles to and the setup of their side hustles as a tax deduction to try to get, you know, their passion project or their, their sort of hobby that they'd like to do more of off the ground. So, yeah, the pack is a great way for people to figure out where they're going wrong, not spend the next six months chasing their tail trying to execute a strategy that isn't going to work and save them a whole bunch of grief. Well, from me and the everybody listening, we we really wish you the the best of luck with the launch. It's on the 9th. I'm hoping that I can drop the episode somewhere around there as well. So that way, you know, you get the encouragement of a, a the sound of a sale going through the website. I hope that like <laughs> it I hope that you kill it. I I appreciate your time. You clearly are passionate about what you do. You can tell because you're prepared to give away your time and your energy and your enthusiasm to what people are doing and you listen to what they're saying. I think your approach is very much aligned to anybody that is in small business and looking to make changes. Because like, if you're in big business, yeah, you can buy the pack and all that sort of stuff, but you can probably, if you're in big business, you can probably afford to go hire, you know, Emily to do your work. Whereas when you're small and you need someone like Emily, but you can't afford her ridiculous, you know, yearly pay packet, this is the way that you get access to the expertise and the advice for 500 bucks. So I wish you the best of luck. Uh, Everyone will be watching and we would love to get an update sort of maybe a few months after you've launched to see how you're going. All the links will be down below. And thank you very much for your time, Emily. Thanks so much, Matt. You've been listening to the Sideshow Hustle Podcast.